0: Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here. Um, Becky's going to come and read our psalm for us this morning.
1: Hello. I'm going to be reading Psalm 86. So hopefully, it will come up on screens. Um, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to the plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you and you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have, who have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, but they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me.
0: Thank you. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word written for us. Thank you so much for the gift this is to us this morning. We, we pray, as Len said, that we would hear your voice this morning, that we would hear from you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to soften our hearts and to give us ears to hear. And we plead with you, take us on this morning. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to be uh, convinced of the love of God this morning for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we've been looking at these psalms now for a few weeks, and it's great to jump in uh, on this series. They are such a helpful gift to us, as we've been hearing in these videos as well. And uh, the psalms were something of a gift to the Israelites through the history of uh, Israel, and uh, they were something of a prayer book to them. They were a gift to them. They're a gift to us. It's so helpful to have these psalms as uh, examples and teaching to us of how to respond to the heat of life. How to respond to the difficulties or perhaps even the, the victories of life. What do we do? What do we say? Where do we go in, in the midst of reality of life? Whether it be that something great has happened and we worship or whether it be something difficult and we lament and we take our hearts to God. They are so helpful to us. They're a little bit like uh, the gadget that Q gives to James Bond in the James Bond movies because they are all needed. Have you ever noticed that in the James Bond movies? Q never, there's never an end credit scene where James Bond's going back to Q and going, yeah, I didn't need that. Uh, I didn't need that toaster. I don't know why you gave me that. I uh, didn't need that 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 big foamy finger. What was that all about? No, there's nothing like that. They're all needed. It's just coincidental in the James Bond movies. I give you exactly what you need. And God knows what we need. This whole book is what we need. And the Psalms are particularly helpful for when we're going through the difficulties of life. Oh, God, help me. Help me to see how do I respond to this situation. We've looked in recent weeks, and uh, Tom and uh, Tommy in particular, looking at making God our refuge and, uh, and making him our fortress and going to God for our hope, making him our hope. And today, the psalmist again is doing both of these things. It's a psalm written by David, as we heard. David is the most prolific writer of the psalms. And as I said, there are prayers, there are songs, and there are uh, um, poems in there. He is under stress and pressure of a very real attack. A very real attack is coming his way. I wonder how you do under pressure, under difficulty. Last week, we had an over-30s football match against the under-30s football match. It was a bit of fun. And uh, you're probably sick of hearing about it, some of you. And uh, it it was for all in the end, and it went to penalties. And it made me laugh that I was looking around thinking, we're genuinely feeling the pressure of this moment, of this football match, that means absolutely nothing. And you think, consider the World Cup final going to penalties and the pressure and the strain they must feel. I mean, I, I, you'll be glad to know the pressure didn't get to me. I scored my penalty. i just make sure I get that, that in there. But, I mean, the fact that Wimbledon you know, finished last weekend as well, and, and the, the whole championship comes down to championship point. There's one point. The whole thousands of points have been played, and it all comes down to championship point. The pressure that comes down to those players. It's incredible. And how many of us would just find ourselves crumbling? Just crumble in that moment. I just wonder, how do you feel? How do you fare under pressure? How do you fare when trials come? When hardships come? What about when strong temptation comes? How do you fare? How do you, you find yourself in those situations? It's easy to give ourselves... Lots of reasons to make different responses, responses, different reactions can come in those moments. As we've heard in recent weeks, Jesus was clear, there will be troubles in this life. There will be. We know, sadly, from, from the very first chapters of the Bible, just after creation, man turned away from perfection, turned away from God, chose to go our own way, and ever since then there has been trouble. There's been pain, there's been hardship. Ever since then, we've known the brokenness of the world. There will be trouble in this life. And Peter's, uh, Peter says, don't be surprised at the trial as if something strange were happening. And God will, will bring us through trials and bring us face to face with trials. And then when we come face to face with trials, there are, there are hardships. Uh, but with the hardships come temptations looming at us. So here again we have a psalm where, where grace and mercy is pleaded for in the face of a hardship, in, a, in the moment of trouble. Grace and mercy, a cry as we just sang. I just loved the beginning of that verse. Mercy and grace are mine. Forgiven is my sin. I just thought, oh, thank you Jesus. Grace and mercy are mine. Just... just I want to say put your hand up, but just resonate with me. Do you understand? None of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be here today. Grace and mercy alone. There's no one deserving. If you feel like, I shouldn't be here, I'm a fraud, you fit right in. None of us deserve to be here. It's all grace and mercy. And David begins this psalm with, I am needy. I'm needy. If you want to uh, be someone who's going to find life, you've got to be someone who knows it's okay to say, I'm needy. In fact, it's a prerequisite. To know God, we, meet, we must be able to say, I'm needy. I'm needy. I need your help. And what is, he, what is he basing his request on? Well, the first four verses. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. Why? Because well, I'm poor and needy. But what have you done that's impressive? No, no, I'm poor and needy. But you you don't just yeah, no, I'm poor and needy. That's his that's his basis for asking for help. Second, uh, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. And you might think, well, isn't isn't that an accomplishment? Is that he's godly? Well, if you're reading your NIV, you'll notice it says, "I am faithful to you." What he's saying there, really in essence, is not, "I've behaved a certain way." It is, "I'm yours. I'm yours." I'm committed to you. Save me. I'm I'm yours. You know, we've got this relationship. Come, help me. I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my hope in you. And then he goes on, verse 3. Be gracious to me. Gracious. Graciousness is undeserved kindness. I know I'm not deserving. I know I don't deserve this. But be gracious to me. For to you I cry, all the day. I've always gone to you. I've wanted to find you to be my help. And then this fourth verse, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you with no no sort of uh, credentials. I'm just needy. And then we see throughout this beautiful psalm, Again and again and again, the credentials that he comes to God with, not his own, but because you are gracious, because you are kind, because you're abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you, verse 5. Because there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, for you, verse 10, do great and wondrous things. You alone are God. You've delivered my soul from the depths of shale. I already know you to be a deliverer. I'm coming to you. Deliver me again. Deliver me in this circumstance. And perhaps this morning is a helpful reminder to many of you. God's delight is to be a deliverer. His delight is to be a saviour. He loves to save you. He loves to be in the work of saving. You may be thinking, yeah, but I've done this, but I've done that. But this week hasn't been a good week. He's a a rescuer. He's a savior. He's merciful. He's gracious. All you ever have to offer is your mess. You never have anything that's that's worth anything to bring to him. You just have your mess. And he takes it and he turns it into riches. So David gives us this great basis here come to God, the God of the gospel, the God of the good news. Christians delight in giving good news. We're not here to give you lots of things to do. We're, tell you, we're here to tell you about something good that has happened. That in Jesus Christ, God has sent his grace, has given his mercy so that we can know, I don't deserve it, but the riches of God are given to me. His cry is based on God's character so what, when you come to God with need, what, what do you tend to base your request on? Do you tend, even subtly, even sort of subconsciously, to think, how have I performed this week? I've prayed a lot. Okay, God, I've got a request for you. I've done really well. I was really kind when that person shouted at me. Okay, God. Or do we, do we say, no, I don't have any claim the moment we start to get performance-based, we get tied up in all sorts of knots. Because if you've done well, you tend towards self-righteousness. I've done well. I'm better than others. And God owes me. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That's not how God gives out. It gives grace to the humble. But also, if you're somebody who thinks, I haven't done well. I can't go to him. So the minute you make your your relationship with God performance-based, we're going to get in all sorts of knots. Perhaps when you ponder your mess, maybe that is your need. And then you're in a real dilemma, aren't you? My need is that I I can't get this right. I'm, I'm broken, God. I really need you. But then I look at myself and I think, but I'm broken. I'm ugly. I can't go to him. What's the hope for us? No, that is a lie from the enemy. When God says, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, come to me with your need. That's what I want you to do. David's so helpful here when he says, I am needy, I am poor, I have no means of getting the needs that I need met. I'm poor and I'm needy. We go to God with that, recognizing the only thing we have to contribute to our mess, to Him, is our mess. It was beautiful. My, I've been on sabbatical recently. I came back from that about three weeks ago, I think. And my first day back, it was a beautiful privilege of being able to make a new friend, uh, a man who came into the church building, and he was in a real low state. And it turns out that 10 years ago or so, this man was in uh, Christian ministry. But he, he, had, he had made a mistake and that mistake had cost him a lot, and he'd had to walk away from the church. And sadly, he'd also walked away from God. And over those 10 years, that had deteriorated until the time he'd found himself on the street. And when he came to uh, see us, he was on his last sort of hope before he thought, I might actually end my life, but I'll give God one more. You know, He actually showed me a piece of paper. I was going to these... Uh, Sort of charity hopes and things the council could help me with at the bottom of the list, church. The last hope, maybe God. And it was just such a beautiful thing to be able to share the gospel with him and say to him, I don't deserve his love any more than you do. Let's go to him together. Let's receive mercy and grace. And it was such a beautiful thing to see this man stand up in the love of God, just knowing acceptance. I can't bring anything to the table. I come to him on the basis of who he is. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is the one who does the doing. I do the receiving. So David is more than happy to come needy to the giver of life. But if we read the psalm quite carefully, he seems to be aware of something that we're not because his reaction to the threat is somewhat surprising. He doesn't seem to react in the way that I would react. His, His prayer isn't really the sort of prayer that I would ask. His need doesn't seem to be the same need that I think I would have in that moment, or many of us at times. And I don't know if you've watched those movies, if you can think of one where it seems like one character seems to know something that none of the other characters know. And, and perhaps where everyone else is terrified, this other character is sort of sitting there smiling and peaceful. Or maybe everyone's threatened by something, but this other character saying, no, there's a much bigger threat over here. But everyone's consumed by something. I was at this wedding yesterday, and I, I picked up a baby, and I was holding the baby, and I, I saw the mum for a few seconds suddenly notice, where, where's the baby? And then look around, and look of terror. And I was standing there with a smile on my face. Not because I thought this is fun, but because I just thought she'll notice in a second, and then she noticed, and I knew something she didn't know. And there's a famous story in the, in three of the gospels where where Jesus is uh, is brought a man. A man is brought to Jesus. There's There's four men and they have a friend who is completely paralyzed. And he's got no way of getting to Jesus. But Jesus is the healer who keeps going and healing people. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. Maybe he'll heal him. So they walk with their friend on a mat, holding this mat. Pretty good friends. And they take their friend to Jesus. And as they reach the house where Jesus is teaching, they realize there's no way of us getting in there. The crowd's too big. It's not possible. But they notice there's steps up to the roof. Let's go up to the roof. And they get up to the roof and they actually start to pull the roof apart. And you imagine you were sitting in there listening to Jesus teaching as debris starts to fall down. And then they look up and there's these four heads peering in. And then they lower this paralyzed man down. You've got to make space somehow for this man to come in. And Jesus reacts in a way that nobody expected. Jesus' response is, is not what you would have thought it would be. He must know something that no one else knows. And by this time, the disciples are getting kind of used to this. Who knows what he's going to do? I don't know what he's going to do. And Jesus, seeing this man lying on the mat, it's obvious what the issue is, right? It couldn't be more obvious. But Jesus knows, no, there's something else. He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And The rulers and the Pharisees are angry. How dare you say that? Jesus then lovingly says, and if you want to know, if if that's not enough to know that I'm God, if you're not sure if I'm God, look, take up your mat and walk. And then he heals the man. Then he deals with his physical needs. But Jesus is aware of something. It seems like David is aware of something in this psalm, that there's a greater need than what is approaching him. In fact, this whole psalm seems to have been triggered because of the need in verse 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. But he's had 13 verses. He doesn't mention that. He's taken up with something else. Something else is on his heart, and on his mind. David's need, his, his greatest need, is actually our greatest need. We'd expect that he needs deliverance from this attack. You know, if you had any friends with him, they'd probably be like, David, why are you praying? We need to get out of here. But David is consumed with something. There's something that he needed even more. And there are, there, are, there are hints to it in here. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And again, if you're someone watching him, what are you talking about teach me for? We've got to go. We've got to get out of here. And yet David is is saying, "I, I need to have an undivided heart right now. Because when threat comes, when challenge comes, when pain comes, there are different options for your heart to run towards. David's saying, I cannot divide my heart right now. I can't do that. That is much more dangerous than those men coming for me. It's much more dangerous than the threat that you can all see. I need my soul to be his. I can't let go of him. That's much, that's much more dangerous. For the man on the mat, his greater need was that his soul may be made right with, be made right with God. And Jesus knew that. Your, your greatest need is that your soul be, be right with God. And Jesus, Jesus said phrases like this that David seems to completely agree with, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God, you are the one who controls life. You control my soul. I want to fear you. Fear there was, would not be so much talking about the sort of terror that is I'm afraid, but fear being the thing that my heart is given to the thing that my heart is given to. When, when trouble comes, what is your heart given to? What do you give your heart to? Well, I just go to comfort because that's the place I can escape. I, I just switch off. I just, you know, I put Netflix on. Or I just text my friend and, or text maybe dozens hoping that I'll get something back. Oh, good. I had an affirmation. Makes me feel a bit better. And our soul can, and our heart can go in all sorts of different directions. It can be divided. David's saying, I cannot have that. I cannot have that. In this moment, of all moments, I cannot let go of having God as my soul's comfort, my soul's delight. He says in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. He wants truth above all. Not nice feelings, not, not good comfort. And definitely not lies. I want to walk in your truth. Unite my heart. It says in the NIV, "Give me an undivided heart to fear your name." Why would I fear these other people? Remember David, the giant killer. You know, you've got uh, Goliath standing there laughing and. And David has the, the, the wherewithal to be, my heart is undivided. I only fear God, and you're not on his side. In fact, you'll find that even in this passage, it's he's, he's almost like he feels feel sorry for these men in verse 14. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they don't set you before them. It's like he feels sorry for them. They don't even set you before them, God. They're in trouble. I must set you before me. That's something you recognise when you go through a difficulty or when, when temptation comes. or when, when life is hard, once something knocks you for six, to say, God, I, my, you know, we, we use this word trigger. I've been triggered. My, a Christian's trigger must be, go to God. God, I've been triggered by something. I've got to come to you. I've got to come to you. Let me not let my, my eyes slip. You've got to take up my vision. You've got to take up my horizons here. God, help me. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So what is at stake when suffering comes? It's truth. It's the state of your heart. It's the state of your soul. In fact, interpretation of the suffering and the response to suffering is often more important than the suffering itself. How do you interpret the suffering? David could have shaken his fists at God. God, what have you got me into this mess for? You've left me. You've abandoned me. You find yourself doing that when you don't get your own way sometimes and trouble comes. God, you've let me down. Well, if you thought your relationship was a transaction, then you're always going to think that. He's let me down. I was supposed to do this, then he was supposed to do this. No, it's mercy, it's grace. I come in to receive your love for me. You're God. And so we've got to be those who remember, God, I come into mercy, I can't shake my fist, you've let me down when trouble comes. No, he's one who is trying to interpret this right. These men don't fear you, God. These men are... Uh, where's the word? These are insolent men. They have, they, 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 they're disrespectful of you and of me. They've risen up against me. He's seeing it for what it is. He's not, he's not reading into it, God, you failed me. And our interpretation of our suffering is a big deal. But also our response to it is a huge deal. It can be more important than the, the suffering itself. He wants to fear God. Proverbs 19 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Now I thought running away from the men who want to kill you leads to life. No, the fear of God leads to life. Leads to life. And uh, uh, as we have just heard from Johnny, his uh, relative is now more alive than she's ever been. That she, she may have seen the shadow of death, but she knows a saviour who took on death for her. So that she now is more alive than she's ever been. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Isn't that an interesting phrase? David's saying, "I don't almost like I don't care what befalls me. I just cannot let go of him. He has got an agenda. So he's got priorities that he knows are absolutely vital. I must have the Lord set before me. If we don't, that's when we're in real danger. That's when fear would have set in for him. I'm terrified. I'm terrified because these men are after me. But he's determined, I won't let fear grip me. I'm not going to give my heart to fear. I'm going to give my heart to God. Or it could have been, uh, uh, I'm going to run to comfort. Or it could have been, I'm going to run to anger. Or I'm going to just crumble in despair. But no, I need to stand in him. Now, as believers, we've got to remember the truth that we have a deceiver, an enemy, and his name is the deceiver. He is the accuser. He is determined to lie to us. There will always be lies that are there, and those lies are often that there are other ways out. David knows, I'm going to be tempted now to look for other ways out. I mustn't have that. I mustn't give in to that. There will always be temptation to other ways out of pain and difficulty, There are other gods, there are other things more fearful than the Almighty God, or we think they're more fearful than Almighty God in that moment. There are things more appealing to us than God. But as we heard just now, death is defeated for a Christian. Death is defeated, it holds no power. Even death, even our greatest, what was once our greatest enemy, Jesus has taken it on himself our greatest enemy has already been vanquished. So our greatest need now is not to fall in the temptation of letting go of our confidence in God. My greatest need now is not keep this flesh safe. That's, that's already dealt with. My greatest need now is I can't let go of him. I can't let go of my confidence in God. We need him to comfort us, as David says right at the end in verse 17, because you, Lord, have helped me and have comforted me. He comes to the end to say, I found you to be my comfort. I've come right through this temptation of, where will I look? What will I go to? Will I have a divided heart? No, I've come to find, I've maintained that you will be my comfort. You will be my source of strength. You've given me favour. Because there's actually a, a, a very heartbreaking story with David where this wasn't the case where David was uh, away from battle for a while, and you may know the story. And he's a general in the army, or he's the king. I can't even remember, he's the king. Uh, and uh, he should be at battle, though. That's the point. And uh, he sees a, w- a beautiful woman bathing on the top of uh, a, a house. Lots of things happen on the top of houses, for some reason, in the Bible. And um, she's up there, and he sees her, and he gives in to temptation. And uh, he... he he gets her to his house and commits adultery with her, and it goes even further to the point where, when they find out that she's pregnant, he gets her husband killed, um, so that to try and get himself out of trouble. And it's a terrible story where David has actually got God's. He he's come out of this 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 determination to say, I must set you before me. I must not have a a divided heart. I must be yours and yours alone. And in that moment, his heart was divided and he fell. And there's a a psalm, Psalm 51, was the aftermath of this, where Prophet Nathan has come to to David and told him, God knows what you've done and you need to repent. And David repents. And he repents. And let's uh, turn to it, 51. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So according to what? According to your mercy. I know I don't deserve it. This is still David's understanding. David, who God says, this is a man after my own heart. Not a man after stuff from me. Not a man after you know, manipulating me. A man after my heart. David's understood I can't manipulate you. I come to you according to your love, according to your mercy. But then in verse 12 of chapter 51, he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So it's, David is, it's apparent that David had, had something lost that he needs restored. David's joy of the Lord. David's enjoyment of, there's no one like you. Who is there like you? Like he says in Psalm 86. I I cannot turn my gaze away from you. I don't want to look to the right or to the left. I don't want to be uh, um, divided. I want to be yours and yours alone. And it turns out that he's putting here his own uh, understanding of what's happened to him is, I lost the joy of my salvation. And I slipped. You know that actually when we go through difficulties, often it is, well, always, it's more important that we know the joy of the Lord is my strength. He will uphold me. Life is difficult. Life will have difficult things coming in all different directions at times. Is my heart fully and solely his? David slipped and fell when he lost something of the joy of the salvation of the Lord, when he wasn't being upheld in that We've got to be those who say, God, uphold me in your the joy of your love for me. Teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Now finally, here we notice something that he he goes back to again and again throughout this passage, Psalm 86. If if our enemy, if one of our enemies here is could be defined as lies, what do we do to defeat that enemy? What do we do to defeat the enemy of lies? What does David do? Well, you notice again and again, I think I counted, I think seven out of the 17 verses here are just praise. Just adoration. Just determination to proclaim the truth of who God is in the face of, I'm tempted to believe other things. I'm tempted now to believe lies. I'm tempted to go and be fearful of the wrong thing. Let me just declare the praises of my wonderful God. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. The temptation being these men are coming after me, and I could believe is God good? You are good. I'm going to declare it. You are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. I'm not going to turn to the right or the left. There is none like you, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. You will be, you will be shown to be. The one true God. You will be shown to be sovereign. Everyone will look on. And as we read in, in Philippians, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is God. So when you're going through trials, you declare these goodness, these truths to say, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He will be shown to be faithful. He will be proved to be faithful. All the nations you have made shall, you've made shall come and worship you. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I give thanks to you, my Lord, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. When you're tempted to flitter to the right or to the left, tempted to think, which what shall I go after here? He's saying, you I will love with my whole heart. I've made a decision. You see, praise is not just liturgy on a Sunday morning. It's not just part of the service that we think, well, uh, for, for, for thousands of years it's been tradition, or for hundreds of years it's been tradition that we'll have um, we'll have a host and welcome and we'll have a coffee and uh, then we'll have some songs and then we'll have some notices and then we'll have a preach and then we'll talk downstairs and we'll go home. That's not, that's not what worship is. That's not what praise is. That's not just part of a service. Praise is the power of the Christian to be able to declare the truth of God to, to God but also to the lies. I'm declaring the truth to the lies. When we sing together, we're declaring the truth to the lies. We're defeating the enemy. We're defeating temptation. We're defeating our temptation to believe lies. So we want to sing truths. We're declaring to principalities and powers, you won't defeat me. You're not going to take me down. I declare, who is there like him? I declare, I stand here in mercy and grace. They're mine. My sins are forgiven. I declare it. This sort of thing is here for the sake of lifting up our hearts. Like David says uh, in verse four, gladden the soul of your servant for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. I'm lifting my soul to him. It's a precious thing. The, The thing that's precious in this moment of attack is my soul. When we come into strain, when we come into temptation, when we come into the difficulties of life, the precious thing, the state of your soul, the state of your heart. I'm lifting this up to you, God. So he's doing that in, in his praise. David spends a lot of this psalm praising God, and we want to do that to him. We want to do that to the principalities and powers, but we want to do it to ourselves, and we want to do it for each other. We get the beauty of singing to one another the goodness The mercy, the truth of God. It's not just a part of our service. And David shows that here. It's wonderful to think this is his reaction to difficulty. Imagine a very real and pressing threat. And the person threatened is singing and praising God. And talking about the goodness and faithfulness and power of God. As this threat is bearing down on them. And you see his praise coming to the comfort that he has at the end here. So David's praise is to God, but it's also a declaration. And the thing is, because of Jesus, we don't just get to speak to God in this way of, incline your ear, O Lord. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. Our Father. So when we are going through difficulties, I'm not just coming, Lord, King, have I done enough? Father, Father, help. Father, I know you're, you're invested. I know you're with me. And so we sing to our Father. We come confident. Now just to close off here before we sing together, there was a a church reformer in the 1400s, 1415, he was actually burned at the stake. Jan Hus, you may have heard of him. And he was burned at the stake, tied to it. And he had this psalm, I think, in his heart, or this heart of David in his heart. I know what's coming to my flesh. I know that I am in desperate trouble in my flesh but my soul is alive with god and you know what jan hus sang hymns as his body was being burned he sang glory be to god on high and on earth peace goodwill toward men as he was being burned by men for um, for actual you know it was just it wasn't even fair what was happening at all we praise thee, he sang. We bless thee. We worship thee. We give thanks to thee for thy great glory. What a picture of someone saying, My soul is safe. My soul is not divided. My flesh may be giving way. My flesh may be being burned. And the Bible's clear that all of our flesh is giving way. But my soul delights in him. And so I'm going to just pray and then we welcome the band back and let's practice. Let's practice. Father, we, we thank you that, God, you are the lover of our souls. You're the one who lifts up our hearts. You're the one who has a greater agenda, and yet you do care for our bodies. You're not someone who says, be stoic, get on with it. You're the one who says, keep your heart with me. I want to lift up your spirits. On lift up your soul. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in here today who may be feeling the strain of life, difficulties, hardships, temptation. Father, I pray, let us be those who say, I must not be divided. I must not set anything else before me. I must set the Lord before me. He will lift up my soul. He will make my soul glad. He alone will do this. Help us to be with David saying, Lord, teach me your ways. Help me to walk in your truth. When other seemingly true things present themselves, help us to say, help us to walk in your truth. Father, we thank you that no one here deserves to be here. And yet we can come because of the mercy and grace of our God who is overflowing with loving kindness. And Lord, I pray, help us when we do need you, when we know, God, I I just need you in this moment. I'm feeling the strain, I'm feeling the stress and the pressure. Help us to be quick to come to the one who is kind, the one who is merciful, the one who is receptive to us, the one who wants to lift our heads. Oh God, help us to not be... uh, Foolish enough to believe the lies that would say, "What have you done, though? Do you deserve this?" Help us to remember. I don't never. I'll never deserve this. I run to him with open arms. Thank you for your kindness in that, Lord God. Do pray for for people in here today again to be reminded of your your goodness towards them. Your your rock-like faithfulness, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Amen.